everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, birds and birding. No matter what was going on around me, birds had the ability to make me smile. That was important because that window, that window that I was looking out of was the window of a homeless shelter that my family and I had lived in at the time. The beauty of birding is not only that your subjects are everywhere, but it's also in the way that you practice it from the therapeutic value of birding, right? It's a really good stress reliever. Going birding and being able to disconnect with the technology, your phone and your, your TV and reconnect with the world outside of your, your windows, uh, there's a, an immense amount of value there. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest has a remarkable story, one that is really a reminder that you can find beauty anywhere, even if it seems like you're in a dark place. One quick technical note. We get a little bit more into the weeds, so to speak, than we normally do, but it's worth it because this is a subject that really kind of lends itself to a lot of information. This is birder Jason Ward. Do you remember the bird that you were looking at when you got really hooked into this? I do. I I was um, about 14, 15 years old. I remember... Uh, just kind of hanging out in my room one day, just minding my business. And some feathers were just floating by my window. Um, I, I'm born and raised in New York in the South Bronx. You see weird things all the time, right? So I ignore it at first. Five feathers, 10 feathers start to, to turn into more and more and more. And I, I see like a, a, at least a constant stream of feathers floating by my window. So I'm like, what in the world is going on? So I go to check and right there, about 30 feet from me is this falcon um, plucking the feathers off of a pigeon before it decided to eat it. And um, I, so many things happened for me at that point in time. I was uh, immediately uh, made aware of the fact that I didn't have to travel to far exotic places to be able to enjoy nature. Um, that, that was the perception that I had. In order to really appreciate uh, the awesomeness that that nature provides. I need to get on a plane somewhere or a boat, and I need to go somewhere far beyond. But um, this was happening right here in in the city, uh, about thirty feet from me. It was National Geographic brought to me, but also in a way that let me know that no matter what was going on around me, birds had the ability to make me smile. Simple as that, right? And and. That was important because that window, that window that I was looking out of was the window of a homeless shelter that my family and I had lived in at the time. So even though we were dealing with some pretty grim uh, circumstances, that moment uh, took me out of that. You know, had you been interested in nature before then or was it a complete 180 transformative experience for you? I had been interested in nature since um, grade school, you know, since since uh, six years old, probably. Uh, it started with dinosaurs. I I used to go to the library, the local library after school, and just pile my desk full of animal books, these eyewitness books. I used to just dive into these books, and it didn't really matter what they were about, right? They could be about marine mammals. 
it didn't matter to me. It was it was all something that I wanted to learn about, and um, it was exciting for me. That was my thing. My siblings knew it. My my parents knew it. My friends didn't know it. Um, it wasn't something that I could just run up to a group of my friends and say, "Hey, did you know that the uh, the the ostrich lays the largest egg of all of the birds, but also the smallest egg in relation to its body size?" Right? Like that's not a fact that's going to win you over. <laughs> In a group of friends, not the cool thing to do, right? <laughs> so um, I, I pretty much kept it uh, within the household. Didn't really express that uh, outwardly too much. So once that experience happened to you around fourteen, fifteen, then where did it where did it go from there? Were you just immediately into it, or was it gradual kind of prog- progression more and more? You know, uh, there was still some life to live, you know, from that point forward, because of our circumstances at the time, there were so many things that took precedent during that period and wildlife and nature and birds were, it was always something that I sort of kept in my back pocket, something that I really enjoyed and loved and, and could run to whenever I needed to, but uh, nothing that I wore on my sleeve until I was an adult until 10 years later, actually. Switching into kind of more birding technical questions, I guess. Do you go birding? Like what What do you do? Are you just walking around like looking for birds? Do you go to a certain sanctuary? Like how does, how does this work? I mean. Yeah. So when I, when I go birding, it's a, uh, you can pretty much go birding anywhere, right? That's the beauty of birds. Um, no matter where you live, no matter what kind of habitat, no matter what kind of environment. So that makes it easy. The accessibility makes it easy. So. Yeah, I could absolutely get my gear together, drive uh, 40 minutes in a car to one of my favorite, um, you know, nature locations here in the metro Atlanta area and spend about three hours there looking at birds. Or I can simply walk out to my porch right now and just sit there and listen and and look and uh, wait for about 30 minutes and document about 20 to 30 different species right there on my porch. The beauty of birding it's not only that your subjects are everywhere, but it's also in the way that you practice it. Birding can be done so many different ways. You can passively bird. Uh, and I think that there's a way to do that from, from your house as you're watching your feeders and you're seeing whatever's coming by and visiting. Or you can, you know, in, intentionally bird. You can actually be involved with it and, and go out and seek certain birds and be very attentive as, as you're walking through a given area and listening. It is definitely a uh, all hands on deck kind of process when, when you're out there in the field. Can you can you be a good birder? Like, do, do people get good at it? Can you look at somebody else and be like, that guy's not good. He doesn't know what he's doing out here. So here's the thing. Yes and no, right? Because um, if you are birding and you're smiling and having fun while you're doing it, you're doing it the right way and you're a good bird. Now, if you want to get down to the technicalities and, and the specifics of it, uh, when it comes to, there's so, so many different aspects of it, right? Like you you have to be able to identify birds in the field. That's challenging. No matter if you've been doing it for five minutes or five years, IDing birds is hard. And, and that's something that you're always trying to improve upon. Oh, you're always sharpening your sword whenever you go birding. You're always paying attention to different sounds and different sights and different behaviors. Anything that you can take from a, a bird that's just minding its business um, can can inform you to uh, be able to identify quicker the next time. And there's also the the aspect of um, 
being able to share that with other people as well, because I love birds. I love being out there and enjoying nature. But for me personally, it's not good enough for me to just experience it and enjoy it myself. I want to be able to share that with other people, let people in, you know, to, to something that I uh, uh, love so dearly and, and allow them to kind of develop their own spark at it as well. So there's there's so many different ways that you can be really, really good at it from from being able to identify a Cooper's hawk from about 300 feet away to being able to usher the next uh, several birders into the field and, and, you know, have them be excited about it just as much as you are. Is that kind of a barrier to entry in the sense that like, okay, I mean, I know the difference between a blue jay and a cardinal. I know what a hawk is, but like I couldn't tell the difference between, oh, that's a reticulated blue jay from virginia right like is is that kind of a barrier that people like it's a bird you know what i mean it can be i remember vividly you know i I attended my first bird walk april 2013 and i thought that i would be this young hot shot because i'd read all the animal books growing up right so i knew exactly what you said i know what a hawk looks like i know what an owl looks like i'm i know what a woodpecker looks like i'm ready to go so I, I purchased my pair of binoculars and I'm there and I'm, I'm, I'm attending this bird walk. There's about 15 to 20 people there. And I'm just blown away by the knowledge that these people had. So, um, yeah, I knew what it, I thought I knew what a woodpecker was, but I didn't know that we had seven different species of woodpecker just here in Atlanta alone. So I knew immediately that I had a lot to learn. So, yeah, it can be off putting. It can be discouraging for some folks, but. For me personally, I wanted to be able to do what they did. I wanted to learn. I wanted to be able to guide and, and, and usher the next generation. And so I downloaded all of the apps. I went on more, more bird walks. I went on YouTube and I studied and I started to learn slowly but surely. The thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I guess this is the case with many disciplines, you're not going to be able to identify 30, 40, 50 species overnight. You need years to be able to do so. Um, it, and you learn by continuously making mistakes. There are two types of birders out there, those who make mistakes and those who lie about those mistakes. Is there something like a trick to it when you're identifying them? Like, oh, you should look at the beak. You should look at the feathers. You should look at the legs. Like, what's the trick? The frustrating answer to that is that it depends on what bird you're looking at. Um, for example, let's let's get really nerdy here, right? So looking at a uh looking at a hawk if i'm watching a hawk soar overhead immediately as my 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 eyes see it i'm starting to break it down and dissect it okay how what's the body shape first thing that i ask myself is what's the body shape if it has long broad wings uh, a short tail and just large body i go to okay that eliminates half of these birds it puts me in the realm of Red-tailed hawk, red-shouldered hawk, and during depending on the season, broad-winged hawk. So now I get to really look at the characteristics of the bird. What color is its tail? What kind of markings does it have on its body? And then I can make my identification there. On the flip side of that, if the bird is more slender with a long tail, that eliminates red tail, red shoulder, broad wing. It brings me to Cooper's hawk, sharp shin hawk. Okay, now I have those two birds that that these can possibly be. All right, so how large is the head projection? Um, Is it flying erratically or is it really uh, uh, confident and and 
soaring with purpose. Like these these little intricacies, you're trying to pick up anything that you can from the bird as because you only have you have a ticking time clock there, right? The bird is going to appear and then it's going to disappear. So you have about 10 seconds or so, if you're lucky, to be able to take as many field marks as you can from that bird. Everything matters. Um, body shape, uh, field marks, characteristics, its behavior. Um, I, I would say size, but I don't recommend people try to look at size. Our brains are not trustworthy. They think things are larger or smaller than they actually are, especially when we're far away from them. So ignore what we perceive as size. Um, that's that's going to be the one hang up that tricks a lot of people. But uh, I'm trying to take as much information from the bird as possible. I guess that's the short way of saying what I just said uh, for several minutes. How how do you do you feel any responsibility to kind of get more people involved in this? I do. I think that, um, again, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, a selfish stance for me personally to be able to want to hoard all of this to myself. So I want to bring as many people into the fold as possible. I know the benefits that that birding can provide an individual. And I want as many people to uh, attempt to experience that as, as, as they can um, from the therapeutic value of birding, right? It's a really good stress reliever. If you have things that are bothering you, if you are sick and tired of looking at the news or whatever's going on in your phone or in your personal life, going birding and being able to disconnect with the technology, your phone and your, your TV and reconnect with the world outside of your, your windows, uh, there's a, an immense amount of value there. Um, there's also the, comp- the competitive, the, the competitive and, and fun, exciting aspects of birding as well. Uh, it's, it's a scavenger hunt. You know, you're you're going out there with binoculars and you don't know what you're going to see. You have no idea. Uh, it's it's hunting without the gore uh, for the younger crowd out there. It's Pokemon Go with real animals. As you got more and more into it, I would imagine imagine that birding is not a um, super diverse group. Was was that a was that a hurdle? Did you feel kind of either directly or kind of indirectly? shunned from it Mm. um it is absolutely a hurdle and it is absolutely true that birding wasn't diverse when i first started in fact i'll say that it still isn't diverse uh we're we're making strides and we're moving towards uh making birding more inclusive uh and and i'm really uh optimistic about the direction that things are headed Um, but we're not there yet we still have a lot of work to do uh yeah there there were a lot of instances in which i felt uncomfortable uh I tried to immerse myself as deeply into the birding culture as possible. So not only was I attending and leading bird walks, but I was also attending meetings at the local Audubon chapter here in Atlanta. So, and and it's no one's fault, but I would walk into rooms uh, during, I would walk into those meetings and um, they were being held at a local tavern. And I would see people kind of just turn and look like, is he supposed to be in this, in this, in this room? Is he, is he lost? You know, can I help you? Uh, and it's like, no, yeah, I'm a field trip leader. Hi. Uh, so uh, there there are those moments, even still to this day, you know, when I'm attending a bird festival, people wonder if I'm, you know, there for that festival or if I'm just visiting. I'm a local from from the city that they're in. Um, there are those moments. You know, I, I led a bird walk February of 2020, right before the, the, the world changed. And um, 
I led that walk with a about 20 to 25 students from historically black colleges and universities here in Atlanta. And uh, we arrived at our location. We had our binoculars. I had my spotting scope. We were ready to roll. And we're walking through this parking lot of this really popular bird, bird area here in Atlanta. And so the parking lot is full. And when we finished walking through that parking lot, I had a couple of uh, students come up to me and they're like, hey, man, like, is it normal for people to just like turn and stare at you? And, and you know, they, they're kind of like sizing me up and, you know, wondering what in the world I'm doing here. And unfortunately, my answer to them was like, yeah, you know, unfortunately, it is it is somewhat normal for them to kind of look at you con- in a confused way. But that's why we're here now. Right. That's that's why we're here doing what we're doing right now today, because we're trying to. Um, change that. We're we're trying to change that. We're trying to, as uh, my good friend and mentor, Dr. Drew Lanham says, we're trying to color the conservation conversation. When you look at conservation, like what do you think we as a society need to do to make sure that these kinds of things are around for future generations? Um, We need to, we need to hold everyone's voices to an equal standard. Uh, I don't think that that's something that has been done in, in previous generations. When you think about things like climate change and, uh, you know, how how certain neighborhoods and certain areas of the country are being affected, the areas that are being affected rapidly, at a rapid, rapid pace, comparatively speaking, are communities of color. But they don't have an equitable seat at the table to be able to, to talk about how to tackle these issues, right? So it's like all of the other folks are out there making decisions uh, that are going to affect their communities first. So I think that having more diverse perspectives on things, um, bringing everyone to the table, <clears throat> putting them on equal ground so that we can all tackle issues that are going to all affect us eventually uh, equally this, this problem together. We want, I want my four-year-old son to be able to see peregrine falcons when he's 30 or 40 years old, right? But in order to make sure that these things happen, we, we have to save things right now. And in order to do that, we need everyone's voice at the table to be able to talk about these things. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Let's do it. How many species, species total have you seen? Uh, 518. That's the exact number. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this, the beauty of birding is that uh, there's this global database called eBird that logs all of your data for you. And it keeps it nice uh, and tidy for you so that you can go back to it and, and, and check out what you've seen over the past couple of years. So, and, and I, earlier I talked about the competitive aspect. I love competing against like local birders or my brother who's also a birder and trying to see who can see the most birds. So right now I have 518 all time. This year so far I have 82 species, um, which puts me first place in my county. But that who knows how that's going to turn out at the end of the year. Now, is that is the species count kind of like? All right, you walk into a birding convention would be like walking into a bench press convention and everybody's like, how much you bench? How many species you've seen? Is you know like what? That? That's a really good comparison, right? Because it's not like if you 
walk into like a bench press convention, which is a really fun, funny aspect. Um, it's, it's not like someone say, yeah, I, I bench press 300, 350. And someone's going to say, prove it right now. Right. No, I, at least I don't think they'll do that. So if, if I um, walk into a bird festival and I'm like, yeah, I've seen 800 species. Um, no one's going to say, well, no, no, pull out your eBird account. Let's see. So you know, no one's going to really call your bluff on it. They're just taking your word for it. Um, that, that's not to say that some people aren't lying about those stats, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's. I would say it's it's pretty similar. Yeah. Easiest species to confuse for another species. Wow, that's hard to narrow down. Let's see. Um, two birds that are hard. I talked about one of them earlier. The one that I talked about is a sharp-shinned hawk. People, so the, the and the reason why they're challenging is because they look exactly like Cooper's hawks. Um, they're just smaller. Um, so, but the, the the frustrating part is if you see a small hawk, it doesn't automatically make it a sharp shin. It could be a male Cooper's hawk because males are smaller than the females. So, there's a lot that goes into identifying those birds that is more than just how big or small is it. In addition to that, downy woodpecker versus hairy woodpecker. These are two very common species across the country. And um, people think that what they see, you know, a, a woodpecker that's that looks large to them, uh, that it's a hairy woodpecker when in actuality it's just a downy. Um, I think those are the two, two species that get confused the most for one another. Favorite bird you get tired of seeing? Wow. But favorite though, right? Favorite bird that I'm that I get tired of seeing. You know what? Pigeons. Pigeons. Yeah. Pigeons. Um, they are arguably one of the most underappreciated birds around. They are extremely adaptable, extremely resilient, uh, really powerful and agile flyers. That's something that a lot of people don't realize. You have to be a powerful and agile flyer if you are escaping peregrine falcons and hawks for half of your day. Um, yeah, these are these are those are the favorite birds that we get tired of seeing for sure. They have acclimated themselves to live right by side by side with us, and that takes uh, a strong organism for sure because we aren't easy to live alongside. Um, but pigeons have figured it out, so yes, the pigeon for sure scariest movie or tv show scene involving a bird wow that is a really good one uh <laughs> um you know i'm going to pick the obvious one here and i'm sorry about that but it, it's it's i'm gonna choose alfred hitchcock the birds for multiple reasons one it's the movie that everyone references when I'm speaking to them and they're telling me why they're afraid of birds. It's that I've never seen it by the way, but it's that movie. And two, it's believe it or not, it's based on true events. So not to that extent, but there, there was this California, you can look this up. There's, there's this California town, I believe it's somewhere between, and it, <laughs> I was going to say it's between Los Angeles and San Francisco, but California is huge. So that, that makes up a lot of that doesn't really narrow it down much. But um, there's a town in, on, in coastal California where these uh, seabirds. Um, oh, my goodness. I'm blanking on the name, uh, their names. These seabirds began to 
they were disoriented by the fog and they had also eaten some fish that were contaminated. They, there were some, some, uh, some issues going on with the fish that they had eaten and they became disoriented and began to f- fly to shore. Now the, the great, the great thing about this is if there is a silver lining, this happened like late at night. So not a lot of people were affected by it, but yeah, they began to fly inland and crash into buildings and fly into windows. And I believe also like attack people as well. So that was, it was the, the actual movie was based on that one weird event that happened. I just looked it up. So 1961 Monterey Bay, the, the birds had eaten a toxin, a type of plankton that for some reason had a massive amount of toxins in it. Mm-hmm. Holy wow. Does it tell you what kind of birds they were? I'm blanking on that. Not, I'm a slow reader, but not, not, not yet. Various animals. No, numerous animals had apparently consumed this one. It doesn't say the actual type of bird. Ooh, best place to go birding. Like if you had, ooh, this is the place I'm going to go. You got the whole, you got the whole, let's do United States whole world if you want. Okay. For the U.S., the answer to me is immediate. It is South Texas, the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas. It is the best hotspot. If you look at, you know, those maps in which you can look at various things and, you know, they they uh, <clears throat> they accentuate certain densities by with colors. Right. So red yeah. meaning high density. Blue meaning low density. If you look at a map of uh, overall bird diversity in, in the U.S., South Texas is red hot, just glowing red, while the rest of the country is very in various stages. Um, the Rio Grande Valley is a gold mine when it comes to bird diversity. It is, it is amazing. Uh, my favorite birding festival is also there. The Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival happens each November uh, during normal times, of course. Uh, it, it is it is the best place in the country by far. Um, my, a couple of other places that are like honorable mentions are uh, southeastern Arizona, another great location to go birding. Um, Cape May, New Jersey, southern tip of New Jersey, Central Park in New York, uh, the lakefront in Chicago. Um, yeah, these are all you know any any kind of coastal place. So. You know, South Florida or California. So any any one of those places. I've been to Alaska as well. There's some great birds out there. Um, globally, South America is is a is a a juggernaut a juggernaut when it comes to to birds. Uh, Colombia especially. So Colombia has the distinction of being the the country with the highest bird diversity in the world. So I've never been there, but I would love to go one day. So Colombia. It definitely holds the distinction of being the best place in the world. And South Texas is the best place in the country. For you, what's the holy grail of birding? What's like, I want to see this. This would make my life. Ah, goodness, that is there's so much, right? Um, I would love to watch a... So I'm really big on carnivores, uh, on, on birds of prey. I love rooting for the predator to catch the prey, while most normal people root for the innocent prey animal to get away. That's not me. 
So I I would love to actually watch the whole entire sequence where where a peregrine falcon is spots something that it wants to attack, and it folds its wings back and dives incredibly fast and uh, contacts and punches the prey in midair. I would love to watch that happen. I would love to watch a golden eagle hunt. They hunt things that are very large, um, very very large. So. I would like to watch that one day. Um, uh, I would love to watch. Oh my goodness! How about this? We also we often see these really spectacular aerial displays called murmurations, right? All of these starlings that are flying in this cloud and they're doing all these intricate movements in the sky. People are wondering why in the world do they do this? Like why are they kind of dancing in the sky? Well, if you ever see a murmuration or a video of a murmuration, look outside of that ball of birds, and more often than not, you'll see a tiny speck, which is a predator, that's chasing them, that, that flock. The only reason you're seeing this murmuration of birds move around and undulate in the sky is because these are evasive maneuvers to get away from a predator. Um, there are safety in numbers, and if they act as one organism, they can kind of just like move around and, and avoid the, the constant attacks. So I would love to watch, again, a peregrine falcon or a merlin or a cooper's hawk attack a bunch of starlings and, and watch what happens after that. Tell me about Black AF in STEM. We are uh, an organization that I started back in April of 2019. Um, I started it just to provide a, a space for Black scientists to come together and, and, and let their hair down. You know, talk about things from sports to favorite foods to, you know, professional things and not feel like they had an employer or an advisor at, at college watching them at all times. This is a place, it's a safe space where we can just vent and be ourselves. Well, when pop culture things occur, we, we talk about them in the group. It's about, it started out with about four people and now there's over a hundred. So we talk about a, a number of different things. So last year, when that Christian Cooper incident happened in Central Park, um, you know, it, it got to our group pretty quickly. And we started to talk about it. We started to uh, put our heads together. And within 48 hours, we had Black Birders Week planned. And full itinerary, uh, special guests, uh, graphic designs. And I, I think that's a testament to just the fact that if you get so many amazingly talented people together in one space, some really great things can happen. So we're taking the momentum that was uh that that was that came about during Black Birders Week and we are now putting it forward to becoming a, an official nonprofit and to try to continue to advocate for and amplify the voices of, of people of color in, in in sciences. So we have a lot of really exciting work ahead of us um, moving forward. So Black Birders Week 2021 will happen in June of this year. So look out for that. Man, that's pretty much all the questions I got, man. Is there anything else you think that we missed? Anything else or what's coming up next for you? Um, for me, you know, we are a couple things are, are on my plate at the moment. I'm still, you know, start I started a new job back in November. I'm the chief diversity officer uh, for the American Bird Conservancy. So a lot of really cool, exciting work to be to be done in 2021 with the ABC. Uh in addition to that, I'm, we're, we're still in negotiations for season three of Birds of North America, um, trying to lock down things and, and, and get things, uh, you know, in order so that we can 
hopefully film this year. Um, springtime is right around the corner, and I would love to be get to be able to get out there and start filming pretty soon. So uh, cross your fingers out there in the world so that we can actually get out there and start shooting some more stuff. I want to thank Jason so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Twitter and Instagram. And we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay. Now let's go ahead and bring in John Shaw. Are you a bird in the hand person or do you focus on two in the bush? Right. Do you focus on what you have or what you could potentially have? Can, can I be in the middle? Can I like not be in the hand, but not be in the bush just wandering around? <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> probably pretty used to not being in the bush. Let me go ahead. I mean, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that because I'm happily married. And uh, anything I say, she will hear one way or the other. So what does that mean then? What do you what do you mean? What does that mean? What do you mean? What does that mean? <laughs> it means that any comments I make about in any kind of context, I, I need probably just to not say it, uh, you know, on a podcast where thousands of people can hear it. OK, I respect that. Did you do? You, OK, can you look back on your childhood as you were growing up and point to any one instance that you think shaped you for the rest of your life? Like we talked to Jason Ward who's a birder, and he said that he basically got involved in this when he was 14, and he saw this one bird eating another. Can you think of any instances in your life that shaped you for the rest of your life? I mean, not not like what Jason is doing, not making a career out of it. Um, I mean, I can say, you know, like, like watching Ken Griffey Jr. made me want to play baseball, but, I mean, that took me nowhere. I, I can't think of a specific moment uh, you know, I, no, not real. I mean, there's things that have taught me lessons, but that's not, you know, that's not not like, oh, hey, I did this and that's going to be my career. Like, I've never had any of uh, any of those moments. Do you think that could still happen for you? Like, what if you're on completely the wrong path? You know, w- without w- without kind of saying that, you know, I, I I don't like my job or I don't want it to come across that way. But I, I I've always thought that there could be more out there. You know, I mean. Uh, th- than what you know I'm I'm doing. I mean, who knows? I I would hope everyone is always looking to for something different or you know, um, or like that. I mean, I so yes, I'm gonna say yeah, probably. Okay, I I would appreciate just a simple no next time. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry to ramble. I was like, Shoal, you gotta end it. Those those. Listen, I haven't talked to you in a week. Uh, you know, I, I'm 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 just ready. You know, I'm excited to hear your voice and to hear myself talk. Okay. All right. No, I, I appreciate that. Well, let's hear you talk some more. Do your shout-outs. Oh, wait, John's got a new shout-out format that he's going to try out, so everybody be lit, ready and listen to this. <laughs> it's literally nothing new. It's it, or it, it's not anything groundbreaking. It's just instead of me wasting your time like I'm doing now saying, and here's on Twitter and here's on Instagram, we're just going to we're gonna lob everyone together, and I'm going to space them out uh, correctly, and there's going to be not one instance of you going – so is Matt Ryan two people or one person? All right. Well, you built it up enough. Let's let's hear it. <laughs> all right. So here's who gets the gold stars this week. Appreciate everyone checking us out on all the social media platforms that we're a part of. If uh, you were a bird, what kind of bird would you want to be? <laughs> why Why are you cutting me off? I just I just wanted to know. I I think we'll get to that a little bit later. I think. I, why can't we talk about it now? 
because I, I don't want I, I just want to get this out of the way. So, OK, so uh, anyways, ignore what my co-host just said. Uh, Brandon, appreciate you. What uh, age would you like to die at? Like if you had to pick a certain age to die, what age would it be? Can I ask why you're interrupting me every time? Just these random thoughts. Just one. Just kind of you're really doing a disservice to all these people who listen to us. You know what? You you fucking one up me right there. You clever man. You now I feel like the jerk. All right, go ahead. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm just well I'm done. Just... So, anyways, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon, appreciate you, uh, Nick Owen. Thank you very much, JT Cochran, uh, AJ, Matthew Lasota. Eddie, I love that name, Eddie. Uh, Christian, Max Rodriguez, Drew, and uh, we're going to end with Jaden Cunningham. Uh, appreciate all of you checking us out this week, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, and the like. So, so yeah, so um, now, now interrupt me, please. Uh, quick question. Is it Eddie, E-D-D-Y, or Eddie, E-D-D-I-E? It's, it's the only way that you should spell Eddie, and it's E-D-D-I-E. I don't know how I feel about that statement. I'm sticking to that 100%. Eddie should be spelled with five letters the way I just spelled it. I'm going to go ahead and say that Eddie is the only instance in which shortening the name, making it E-D-D-Y, instead of having the longer version, is where the longer version name actually sounds cooler. Like you thinking you're envisioning a cooler person with the longer name than with the shorter name. Because, <laughs> right, like uh, Nicholas is never cooler than Nick. Jonathan is never cooler than John. Matthew, Matt, like Robert, Bobby. Eddie might be the only example. I I just, I go back to the George Carlin skit, man. Strong names, Eddie. Let's see here. Now to the fun part for you. Uh, trampoline sports. Would you rather engage in a game of trampoline basketball or dodgeball? Dodgeball. Trampoline basketball, I've reached the age which trampoline basketball when you're... No, trampoline dodgeball overall is cooler. Like, trampoline basketball is just asking for a broken leg. A hundred percent. I don't disagree. Like, we're both too old, I think. And I think, one of us is very out of shape, so... I th And I think the problem with some of those sports is you get older, right? When you were a little kid, like four teenagers and younger, somebody would throw the ball at you, and it wasn't coming crazy fast. Like a grown adult throwing a dodgeball at you, that shit's coming. Like I don't. When I the last time I played dodgeball, which would have been like a ten year span between when I played it as a little kid, I don't remember people being able to throw like that. I don't remember it like, oh my god, you can't do this with adults. This is dangerous. <laughs> if uh, if you have to go in on one of these to invest your money, what are you doing? The GameStop stock or Bitcoin? Oh, the GameStop stock. I love it. Did you follow that whole thing? Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm I'm impressed. Very impressed. Well, it's such a reminder that like in America for people who don't maybe listen to this and live in America, it's never an issue of what someone is doing. It is always an issue of who is doing that thing. I I mean in the end, the rich billionaires are still going to win. Most of them. Some of them did lose a lot of money. But uh, just to be able to fight back a little bit as a little man, I, I think is a is pretty awesome. Felt good, felt good for Team Us. Did you would, now? Would you go in and invest in it? Like if you saw something like that happening, are you the kind of guy that would like? Oh, I'm gonna jump on that. 
You know, I had some friends who did, and I had the opportunity to when it was a hundred bucks, one hundred twenty-five bucks a share. But I was too big of a, I don't, I, I don't know what the word is, pansy, I guess. Uh, so no, I didn't, I did not, and I don't think I would, because um, I'm not smart enough to know when to dump, when to keep. You know, I would panic sell. I think. Yeah, I could see you doing that. I can actually, <laughs> I can actually see your sweating fingers on your phone right now. <laughs> like just trying to like oh drop it like panic if you were running away from the villain in a horror movie do you feel like you would trip <laughs> i no i i don't think so i actually think i would be pretty good in a horror movie um but i i would definitely i mean we've talked about this i would definitely be murdered we decided for people who maybe don't listen to this podcast John would be one of the last characters to die. Like he would be the last mainish character without any speaking parts. He'd be like, "Oh no, John!" I would be one of the first people, and nobody would necessarily give a shit. But I, if I was running from a horror movie villain, I wouldn't look back. Like that's a waste of time. Why are you looking back? Unless he's got some sort of way to like projectile at you. There's no reason to look back. Just keep running straight. Also, why is it always usually some form of a tree that that does it? You know, like why can't it be anything what else, else would it be? a tree? What else is it gonna be? What else is on the ground? It's gotta be a tree root. That's the easy go to. I, I know it's the it's just it's just such a banana I peel? I mean, it it worked in uh in Billy Madison. No, not Billy Madison. Was it Billy Madison? O'Doyle rules, right? <laughs> That would have been really funny if you would have nailed it, but you kind of screwed it up by not knowing which movie it would have been. Did, like if you I would have did. just been a hundred percent confident, worked in Billy Madison, you would have ended me. But then you didn't. <laughs> you see, but you slipped on your own banana peel, and then you couldn't handle it. Well, we both know I'm not eating bananas, so I don't have to worry about that. Chocolate um, bananas, maybe. <laughs> uh, I just want to get your thoughts on this. This isn't really a question, but it came out that Messi, the soccer player, oh god, signed a contract for four years for $650 million. I did the math, and that's $350 and then some change per minute he's making. That That's just insane money, right? Like, I'm not crazy. Like, everyone who's listening to this, including you, like that's insane money for anybody, right? That's that's absolutely insane money, but I think the thing to always remember that whenever you hear one of these giant mega contracts is if somebody's paying him that, they're making even more money. I you know, I I give you uh I give you I tip my hat. I I didn't think of that. Right? Yeah, like you're right. Whoever whoever's paying him can pay him that amount and still make money off of him. Yeah, that's just it's just it's just it's insane. It's incredible. I mean, he's one of the biggest stars in the world, but, you know, three quarters almost of a billion dollars to play a sport. Oh, that's just mean. That's insane. I, I don't know. I just I just see that number and it's just whew. I can't even make one eight thousandth of that. And this dude's making three hundred and fifty bucks a minute. I would like for some sporting organization to like just put out contracts for what they think random people would be worth like john shaw we've calculated it and according to his us you would be worth 50 cents to play in this game we'll give you 50 cents to ride the bench right like it's my olympics theory where i think that they should have like on the track where they got eight lanes they should have seven olympians the best in the world and then just one regular guy i would watch that every time you know i don't i don't know if you ever said that to me that's actually a great idea 
I would watch those because I'd be like, well, maybe this person might not finish last, you know? No, dude, they're going to get smoked every time. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> would, look, on a two-lap race, they're getting lapped easily. Uh, like they just that... pull somebody out of the stands and like, hey, Bob, you're running the 800 against this guy. He runs it in 40 seconds. This dude comes in like six minutes. That would take the prestige out of the whole event, but it'd be fun as hell to watch. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> All right, are, are you done? I am. Are, I, I'm, I'm taking flight for our uh, top five oh, here. My, wow, nice. See what I did Nicely there? Nicely done. I did. I did. <laughs> I threw up in my mouth a little bit and was also proud of you. Thank you. Um, so our top five is top five birds. I really hope you put something on there that's not a bird. I really <laughs> hope that you somehow did. Um, what's your number five? I My number five, I have a feeling you're going to say isn't a bird, but I've looked it up, and it is a bird, and that is a uh, penguin. Yeah, dude, you had to look up if that's a bird or not. I, I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to triple check because I didn't want you, like, you know, because I know it doesn't fly, and I just want, I just, I was circling back, I was just crossing all my T's and dotting all my eyes. Also, that's way too high for a, or way too low for a penguin. Penguin's a dominant bird, dude. There's a lot of, there's a lot of badass birds out there. But not like a penguin, dude. Penguin's fucking sweet. Uh, my number five is a hummingbird. <laughs> uh, okay, hummingbirds aren't uh, are good. You know, humming. Oh, hum they're along. good. Everybody likes. God, dude, you're gonna do this all the whole thing, huh? What am I gonna do? You're gonna make your little pun joke every single time. Like, ooh, they're humming along. <laughs> I I I just might do it. I don't I don't know. They're just hummingbirds. It's not possible to see a hummingbird and not feel a little bit happy. Nobody wants to like smash a hummingbird. Like a pigeon, get that pigeon out of here. Or like shoo it away. Like oh hummingbird, I'm gonna watch this. All right, what's your number four? Uh, now this is, if you say this is too low on my list, I get it, but, uh, I have an Eagle at number four. See, but I could really care less about the Eagle, right? The only reason we really know it is because you and I are both born in the United States and it's the bald Eagle and we have kind of a special, has a special place in our hearts, but I don't care about any other Eagles. Right. I, I mean, you really just gave the reason why it's on my list. I mean, but because we were born in America, and if you actually look at an eagle, they're quite beautiful and badass animals for the most part. They're pretty big. You ever seen a bald eagle in real life? Uh, not up close, just from far away. Like how far are we talking? Like you on your computer far away? Or did no. you actually see it in real life? Like in real life, like they're nests, and you know they're they're sitting next to the nest up in the trees, and you're probably... 40, 50, 60 feet away. Uh, my number four is a hawk. Okay. Hawks, Hawks are, are uh, sweet. You know what? I'm going to take that back. I would actually put falcon over a hawk. I don't know what the difference is, but I would rather be a falcon than a hawk. I don't have either of them on my list, uh, and I don't really know the difference, which probably makes me sound uncultured and not smart, but I, I don't know what the difference is. Well, one has four letters and one has five. Thank That's you. about um, the extent of my knowledge of the difference. I think the falcon is like smaller. I think it's a little smaller. Maybe the beak is shaped differently. I don't know, but I would put the falcon <laughs> ahead of the hawk just because like, ooh, it's a falcon. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, my number three is I have a, a combination of three birds because one, oh, I don't really God. know the, the difference. Ultron? 
Oh, okay. All right. Well, if we uh, had any opportunity to make you look bad. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you for that. Um, a parrot, <laughs> a macaw, and a toucan. You don't know what? Okay, I know what the difference is there. A parrot is smaller. A macaw is very bright, and a toucan toucan has it's toucan Sam, dude. Right. I like. I, I know what they look like, and I know they're they have physical features that are kind of different, but they're all bright and they're all you know. So I'm lumping them in all together for my number three. I can understand that, right? Like I can kind of classify all those like bright colored birds that look sweet, but I don't really know what they are. I can understand that it being is just one big grouping. Yeah. So that's okay. that's what I did. You're on your number three. Oh. Well, my <laughs> number three is actually a cardinal now that I look at my list. <laughs> All right. I, I have them and blue jays on my honorable mention. I, I think they're both beautiful birds, but they represent, you know, teams I don't like in baseball. So you're off oh, the list. Oh God. Because of that. Okay, what's your number two then? <laughs> why, why do right. you say it like that like what's your number two that so i could rip it apart because you made me feel bad about my card because nobody cares about baseball I think it's more over than what you what you think but sure nobody wants to watch look this makes perfect sense how you spend every day reading about submarines and like baseball because you're a 75 year old man <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not a 75 year old man. What time you go to bed this weekend? Eight? Oh my god! Yeah, that's uh, yeah, dude, it's happening. It was it was like 9:50, by the way. Thank you very much. Like, what time do you, if you're in if you are in bed at 9:50, at what time do you start to go to bed? Uh, it, it doesn't take me long, man. If I cr- if I go to bed, I go to bed. Like I crash probably maximum 10 minutes. You're going to go ahead and brush your teeth, potentially shower all in that 10-minute span, turn off all the lights at house, lock the doors, everything? Oh, well, I, I don't include that. Like, I, I thought you were talking about, like, laying down, like, trying to get to sleep. I mean, the whole process probably takes me 20, 20 minutes if I'm trying. If I'm like, no, shower, fuck locking the doors, five minutes. That well, first of all, you're in Detroit, dude. You got locked. You got locked. Just <laughs> <laughs> all right. right. That makes it sound so much worse. Like if you're saying I'm in bed by nine fifty, that's not too bad. But then if you say I start going to bed at nine twenty on the weekend, now you're like, oh man. Yeah, that's pretty <sighs> bad. That's pretty bad. That's pretty okay. Terrible. What, what number are we on? I'm on my number two, which is an owl. Oh, that's my number two, too. And I changed my list to make owl number two. What's your favorite kind of owl? Uh, I don't really have one. <laughs> I didn't think you did. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I couldn't name you. I mean, are there there are barn owls, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I, there's I, an elf owl, maybe. I don't I've know. I've actually seen it. Because I used to live in Arizona where they had elf owls that only live in a very small part of Arizona. They live in cacti. Very oh. small. They're like three inches. They live in what? Cacti. Oh, got it. Yeah, dude, that's the plural of cactus. Because a <laughs> cactus, well, a cactus, even though it has an S on it, like it should be plural, is actually just the single version of cactus. Cacti is if you have multiple cactuses. <laughs> I got that right too. I got that right. I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, so your number two is owl. My uh, number two is owl. Snowy owl specifically. Actually, I would go with the snowy owl. Okay, I, me too. I like snowy owls. And they're the best, aren't they? Tell me something about them. Uh, they're white. 
<laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> nice save. <laughs> well done. I well done. Thank you. I mean, you know, I, 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 I can't tell you anything more. If you want to enlighten me on snow owls, I have five minutes. Uh, they generally live in colder environments. Oh well, I could have guessed that too. <laughs> right. Let's see how many other basic things we can come up with about <laughs> snow owls, knowing nothing about them. <laughs> they probably live in, uh, you know, cold areas too, like Russia and Canada. That's just what I just said. No, but you didn't give specifics. I have nothing else about these snow owls. Can we just move okay, on? Okay, finish your thought and let's see if it's correct. Uh, I mean, that was right. I'm assuming that they sleep during the day, hunt at night. Mm, let's see. I'm going to go ahead. I'm actually looking it up, but I'm going to say this right before I click on it. I'm going to go ahead and say they are renowned for their vision. <laughs> Fair enough. And I... Snowy owls are native to the Arctic regions of both North America and the Palearctic. It's just amazing when you look at Wikipedia and realize you don't know shit. <laughs> Like, I don't know what that is. Do you know what the Paleoarctic is? No. And didn't you get a degree in like geography or history or something? History, dude. Those are two very different things. I couldn't remember. I, you know, you're an educated man. Oh, the first thing they say is taking a shot right at you. The snowy owl, of course, is mostly white. Although what? they are purer white than predatory mammals like polar bears and the Arctic fox. I don't know why that's taking a shot at me. That's what I said. So I'm as smart as the person who wrote that on yeah, the wiki page. The way that they wrote it was like, hey, yeah, dumb shit. They're white. <laughs> the toes of the snowy owl are extremely thickly feathered. Thickly feathered. Yeah. All right. My number one, I have the chicken. <laughs> I fucking forgot a chicken is a bird. I totally forgot a chicken is a bird. <laughs> Absolutely forgot about the chicken, which deserves to be above the turkey. The turkey is a turkey is garbage. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I only put chicken as my number one because it's it's something that you know I use every like I you know consume it every week. It's just you know it it's it serves an absolute purpose, unlike some other birds. Uh, my number one is the penguin. I would have to agree, though, with your number. Like, I like the penguin is my favorite bird, but you went practicality. Like, you went favorite bird in another way. If you had to guess, is there more people in the world or chickens? Ah, uh, probably chickens. Nah. Yeah, there's a lot of chickens. Ah, uh, well, I mean, if there's over eight billion chickens, then it's a lot of chickens. There has okay, to give me your honorable mention while I look up how many chickens are in the world. Uh let's see. I, I've I have a lengthy list, so I'll try to keep it. Uh, uh, time concise here. Uh, cockatiels, woodpeckers, uh, canaries, uh, parrots, um, uh, blue jays, cardinals. Uh, uh, what else I got on here? Uh, robins and something I can't uh, really read that I I wrote. Oh, birds of paradise. That's what I wrote. Birds of paradise. Okay. How many chickens do you think are in the world? I'm going to go double the population of the world. So whatever it is, I'm going to say 15.5, uh, you know, billion. 23.7 billion chickens. God dang, that's a lot of chickens. Just think about how many chickens that is. I don't even believe those numbers, though. How do, how can you count every chicken? 
Well, you can't count every chicken, but they can probably put it together. It's a lot of chickens. How many chickens do you think KFC kills in a day? <laughs> 2.5 million. Jesus. Dude, that's 30 chickens every minute. Oh, no, every second. Holy. Dang, dude, there's a lot of chickens. Man. They lost that. Which could beat all of our asses if they really wanted to. Dude, could that's a good question. If we were to free all the chickens, could they take us? <laughs> could they kill us? I mean, I'm I'm sure some of there's some big ass chickens. Like, you know, I'm wouldn't it, surprise me. I guess it did, but it sounds ridiculous, right? But then really that's just could every man, woman, and child on earth put down four chickens like if four chickens came at you could you take all four of them <laughs> i mean it, it would it would have to obviously depend on what they're armed with are we just going chickens just straight up or are they gonna have like chickens straight coming at you <laughs> uh i mean i want to say yes but at the same point i've never been approached by a chicken so i guess i guess i don't know Right. And see, this is where we get into the problem is because could you or I fight off four chickens? Probably. Like, I, I think I could. I'm not entirely sure, but I think I could. But I know that my wife and my two sons could not fight off four chickens. So I'd really have to fight off six, 16 chickens and I'm losing to 16 chickens. <laughs> what a weird, right? What a weird question to think about. Uh, but can you take 16 chickens? Because you have a wife and two children as well. You're not fighting 16 chickens. I mean, I'd like to think that I could stand a chance, but probably not. No. Not no, dude. One of them gets your eyes and then you're done. <laughs> chickens could take us. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we should stop talking about this in case there's a chicken that is listening. Yeah, dude. We better, we better stop. All right. I'm going to cut it. Dude, I'm telling you, we're going to lose the fucking chickens. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Would love to hear what what you think are the top five birds. Would also really like to know, do, like, do you think that we could take the chickens? I don't think that we could, right? It's just a numbers game. And ultimately, even if you can take your chickens, You'd also have to potentially fight off somebody else's chickens, and then that's just too many chickens.